Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of the Student Loan Planner, which helps people with all aspects of student loans. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thank you for having me, Jordan. So you've had an amazing story. Just briefly tell us your uh, journey with student loans and your wife's journey. Well, I didn't have any. I was a bond trader, and I got lucky. I went to a state school and scholarship and uh, came out and went to work for a big investment company and uh, and got really good at Excel. That's kind of what you do when you're a bond trader, right? And uh, And so I got really into the financial independence movement and decided that I was going to retire from my job in my 20s. So I did that. Uh, and then my wife, I actually met right before I was going to go on this ch- journey to go see you know 40 different countries around the world. And, uh, and she was a physician and she had a lot of student loan debt. And uh, you know things got more serious. You have a money talk when you get more serious as a couple, right? So then I discovered that there was all this complexity with student loans. It wasn't just simply pay it all off because there's all these different refinancing options. You can pay based on your income and you can get forgiveness. So I used that background I had as a bond trader to model it all. And then that led me to create this tool, this calculator tool to model everything. And so then I started doing consults, making plans for her friends. And then the tool that I had built during those consults that I used during those consults went viral. And that led to us getting more and more and more people um, you know, that, that hired us to make custom plans. And that's how Student Loan Planner was born. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Student Loan Planner. What can people find at that website? I mean, you can find basically anything if you have more than $50,000 of student loan debt and you're trying to figure out how to pay it back. That's probably, I think, really we tar- try to target the 3 million people that have a six-figure student loan balance, really. I mean, we do help people with all levels of student loan debt, but we have especially content tailored to professionals with graduate degrees or parents with multiple kids in college that have six figures of Parent PLUS loans. We've got a lot of content specifically for those individuals. You'll find things like, you know, how to optimize public service loan forgiveness, which is one of the biggest government repayment plans or government forgiveness plans for student loan forgiveness. You'll find uh, free student loan calculators, refinancing bonuses if you need to lower your interest rate for private student loans, uh, and, and just all kinds of content really around helping graduate professionals live their best financial lives. Great. So let's start broadly here. So kind of give us a sense of the, the landscape of student loans today. We have all these kids, it's like $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. It seems like it's growing all the time. Is there anything that's going to be slowing down this kind of massive amount of student loan debt that people are taking on these days? Well, uh, kind of, I don't want to I don't want to call this um, funny or anything, but student loan debt's not going to really grow that much over the next six months because of the CARES Act, because student loan interest is issued, it's now 0% until September the 30th. So you're not going to see balances expanding during this time, you will see people maybe take out additional debt for school. Uh, but there's you know about 45 million borrowers at this point that owe about 1.64 trillion, and this is a runaway train. Uh, if this you know becomes more of a longer term economic crisis, uh, you know, more people are going to go back to school because that generally is what happens in recessions: is more people go back and get an education. Uh, but even in good times, I expect this number is just going to continue to grow, and it's really. Uh, not going to change at all until they decide to cap borrowing for higher education. How is this changing society that people are graduating with this huge burden of student loans more than in previous generations? 
Well, I mean, my dad could go work uh, part time at a at a bar and pay for tuition and room and board and everything back in the the sixties, seventies when he went to college. You know, and now for professional school, you could kind of almost do that back in the day. Now you have to take out more than most people's mortgage to go become a dentist or a physician, you know, or uh, a lawyer, right? And that's going to have some major consequences because, like, the good news is higher education had an access problem, right? You didn't have any diversity in a lot of professions. You, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> white men were the dominant, you know, demographic in basically every professional occupation, right? So, one of the reasons for that is you need to get access to capital to people that don't have that historic, you know, financial assets to use as collateral, which makes sense. So you allow people to pay based on their income. But the problem with that is if you pay based on your income, then your payment is the same if you owe 20000 or 200000 And then if you pair that reality with the fact that in 2006, the federal government un- basically uncapped student loan borrowing with the Grad Plus Act, basically now you can take out an unlimited sum of money for graduate school and for undergraduate, you can take out an unlimited sum of money under the Parent Plus program. So without any limitation at all on what universities can charge, like there is in other countries that allow people to pay based on their income, you've seen runaway tuition and you've seen student debt in the United States absolutely explode. And that's kind of my theory as to why, as you uncapped borrowing and made it so that anyone could take out basically whatever the cost of attendance the school assigns is. Just give us some of the numbers. What is the average amount of debt people coming out of school with, both undergraduate and graduate? Uh, and give us a sense of the payments. And uh, I mean, how is it affecting, for example, I hear people can't go out and rent an apartment or start a family or something because they got to live at home because the amount of burden of this student loans. Give us a sense of the numbers here. Well, I mean, so for federal student loans, it actually should never be a burden. And if it is, then you probably haven't uh, explored your options deeply enough. So I don't mean that in a, in a mean way. I just mean that, you know, if you cannot afford your payment, for example, uh, you're making a you know, minimum wage or something like that, well, then you can consolidate your loans with the government and get them onto an income-driven repayment plan, like revised pay as you earn. So you, with that plan, basically you pay 10% of your income off of your last year's tax return and you get a, about a you know, a $20,000 deduction for a single person approximately. So that means you can make up to $20,000 and pay zero a month and be in great, full, good order on your student loans. So the the, the problems where we really see pe- things break down is people start, you know, trying to feel like they don't have any flexibility at all. So like the typical undergrad, for example, comes out with about 35000 of student loan debt now. That's about a $350 a month payment for a 10-year term. And that's a, that's a car loan, right? I mean, that's a significant monthly payment for somebody if they're trying to pay it back on a standard 10-year plan. With some of these income-based options, though, they could be paying as little as $0 a month. They're actually in deep distress. So the student loans actually shouldn't be holding people back, even though that's kind of what's, what's happening in a lot of cases for, for folks. And what's happening at the graduate level, medical school, law school, business school, things like that? So there's no accountability, really. So for the graduate schools, again, they can just issue whatever their cost of attendance is, and the government gives the student unlimited capital in the student's name, not the parent's name. So for undergrad, to get an unlimited sum of money, you have to borrow from the parent under the Parent PLUS loan. So the, the loan's actually not really in the kid's name. And for graduate and professional school, the loan is in the individual that went to that school's name. So for graduate professional school, you know, you might see you know, law schools on average maybe 100000 med school on average maybe about 200000 uh, dental school is is average student loan. That's about three hundred thousand now. I think veterinary school is around two hundred thousand as well. So the the problem is is a physician can can pay that back. 
Um, but you know, if you look at some of these other professions like veterinarians and chiropractors and dentists, you'd think that all these people could make enough money to pay it back. But the the debt to income ratios, like you know, people are kind of typically coming out of school now owing twice as much as their income or more. And in some professions like chiropractic, the debt to income ratio, people are owing five times as much as what they're earning, right? So the only reason why professions like some of these schools that are out there are allowed to charge so much is because there's absolutely no limitations at all on what students are allowed to borrow and perhaps there should be. But then they're stuck with a burden. I mean, a lot of these people might never be able to pay that off if it's five times their income. Well, they won't. And, and that's and that's kind of, unfortunately, it's by default, by design, because the, the, the government repayment program does not you know, kind of think about that. In other words, it doesn't discourage people from taking out as much as they possibly can and pursuing a long-term forgiveness strategy. So, you know, you can get forgiveness one of two ways. One is to work for the a not-for-profit or government employer for 10 years, and then the balance is forgiven tax-free at the end of that 10 years of service. Another way to get it forgiven is you can do absolutely anything, including sit on the couch at home. And as long as you're enrolled in an income-driven plan, at the end of about 20 or 25 years, you're, uh, you know, basically forgiven and you have to pay income taxes on the forgiven balance. So that's the two ways to get forgiveness. So if you're five times your income, like a, like a lot of chiropractors are uh, in debt, then you're just going to pay 10% of your income for 20 years and the balance is going to be forgiven and the taxpayer, you know, which includes student loan borrowers, is going to have to pick up the, uh, the tab for that. Of course, there's been a lot of political input on this whole thing. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren wanted to wipe out all student loan debt, and, and a lot of students were hopeful that was going to happen. Do you think that could ever happen? So I think it, it could, but I think it's going to happen in more limited um, circumstances. For example, the Stimulus Act tried to pass a bill that said that they would forgive $10,000 of student loan debt for um, for everyone, but notice they only said $10,000. So Bernie Sanders has proposed forgiving everything, but actually Elizabeth Warren is what I would call the, the thoughtful progressive plan. Bernie Sanders is more of like a campaign uh, kind of slogan versus versus Elizabeth Warren's. You know, Elizabeth Warren's was very targeted. She would only forgive your debt up to I think it was fifty thousand if you were making under a certain household income of I think it was around hundred thousand. So in other words, uh, you know, if you forgive student loan debt, it's actually very regressive. It benefits wealthy people the most to forgive large student loan debt, right? So right. I do I do think at some point you might see some more limited widespread forgiveness for kind of middle-class people, but I don't ever expect that they're going to forgive all of the people with six figures. They're going to just do student loan forgiveness, paying based on your income, that kind of path. Yeah. So the people in school now should not expect to be bailed out is what you're saying. Not bailed out, but you probably would expect that you'd be able to pay a percentage of your income, which if you look at the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, they're anticipating that you know, in some cases, graduate borrowers are going to have 80% of their balances forgiven with these income-based plans. Wow. My understanding of the income-based plans, though, they're very difficult to enroll in and to keep track of so that when the 10 years comes up, and we're starting to get to the 10-year mark now because the program started, I think, in 2009, that people, in fact, are not getting uh, everything forgiven as it's supposed to be because it's kind of a bureaucratic mess. Is that correct? That's correct, but, you know, that's 2009. You mentioned it started. So if you had loans from before that period, by definition, you don't qualify because of the limitations of how they wrote the law. So you need 10 years of service to qualify, right? So that means anybody who could potentially qualify would only be able to apply in 2019 at the earliest. 
And even then, you don't really have widespread issuance of federal direct loans until 2010. So, you know, so, so you also would have need to have started your program of study at a time where you would have had all federal direct loans, which would really be, you know, you know, probably uh, more like, you know, starting medical school in like 2008, graduating in 2012, add 10 years to that, that's 2022. So really, you're going to see a huge exponential increase in the approval rate for these kind of programs. You know, just because the programs were designed poorly in the first year or so doesn't mean that that bureaucratic nightmare is not going to become a lot, lot easier over time. Oh, that's good news. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of the Student Loan Planner. And you can find out more at his website, which is studentloanplanner.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of Student Loan Planner. You can find out more at his website, studentloanplanner.com. Welcome back to the show, Travis. Good to be back. 
So let's talk about repayment strategies. There are different repayment strategies. How can you figure out what's the right one for an individual person? And do you help people uh, deciding amongst the various choices? Yeah, I mean, that's the core of our business is making customized plans for people to to help them figure that out. Um, So just as an example, a lot of people will go on to sign up for uh, an income-driven repayment plan, and they'll get an estimate of what their monthly payment is on the government website. And frequently, that monthly payment is uh, is just wrong. It's not correct uh, because it doesn't take some things into account, right? So the first thing that people should realize is your student loan debt is a monthly payment if you want it to be, or it's a tax if you would rather treat it as if it were a tax. And that's a really important concept, and it's kind of a, a weird kind of intuitive concept if you've never really thought about it that way before. But, but let me explain. You can pay based on your income for your student loan payment. So you can pay 10 to 15% of your income from the prior tax year for your student loans. If you're married and you file your taxes together, then they're going to count your spouse's income too. Now, the thing that makes this complicated is under certain repayment programs, you can change your tax filing status and file a married filing separately, for example, to maintain the ability to only pay 10% of your income alone, for example. So in terms of deciding which repayment plan is best for you, what I typically suggest to folks is when you just have graduated, it's probably better to sign up for the revised pay-as-you-earn plan if your intent is to eventually pay the loan off. And the reason for that is because in the first 12 months after graduation, you can generally use your tax return for when you were a student and get a $0 a month payment. And that $0 a month payment carries with it a 50% subsidy on all of your interest, which is, is really quite impactful. And it's actually even better than refinancing for the first year that you're out of school. So you can take advantage of this $0 a month payment while you're right out of school and build up your emergency fund, get your interest where it's not killing you, and then get to a point in your life where you're stable, and if your intent is to eventually pay that loan off, then you can do something called refinancing, which is to basically move your loan to a private lender that views you as a better credit risk than the government and is willing to give you a better interest rate. Now, right now, we're Let's telling... Let's talk nope. about that for a second. Uh, the, sure. That process with, with the 0%, is that something you can help people uh, apply for? Is it difficult to get enrolled for that, or is it something that's it's helpful to have you apply them for it? Well, people can do it for free on studentaid.gov. So you can actually apply for an income-driven plan if you click on manage uh, manage payments, manage loans, basically. They'll see a drop-down that says income-driven repayment, apply. And so you should you can do that. Like The problem is, is there's strategy behind this. So for example, if you just do nothing, then you're going to be entered into a grace period of six months when you uh, graduate, right? So let's say you're graduating medical school in May uh, and that you have six months to, to wait. And so your payments start up on one of these income-based plans in November or December uh, because your loan servicer will send you a thing in the mail that says, hey, you have to pay, you know, uh, basically they'll ask you to pay 1% of your balance per month. And so a lot of times that wakes people up because a $200,000 balance, you have to pay $2,000 per month and people freak out, you know, and so they'll call their loan servicer and they'll sign up for, sign up for an income-driven repayment plan. What you could have done instead is take action immediately after graduation by consolidating with the government, and then you can sign up for uh, the $0 a month payment plan for those first 12 months. And then it's always looking back at your most recent available tax return. So they're looking for you know whatever the uh, whatever that most recent tax return is, which often shows a lower income than what the income is that you're currently making. So right. the thing is is, is, is we don't necessarily help people apply for things. We tell them you know, the strategy. That's that's really kind of where we view the importance is, is getting the plan right. 
And then the the uh, application uh, explaining somebody how to apply is as simple as just giving somebody the the URL uh, with the with the detailed list of instructions of what to do. Yeah, because the government's not going to give you a strategy that's going to really help you. Well, right. I mean, we're we're seeing this with the stimulus act. There's so many different programs. There's so many different ways to get money out, and uh, and there's all these different things you can apply for. And uh, and nobody, you know, the government is not your lawyer or CPA, right? Uh, they're not going to tell you, hey, you should apply for the Paycheck Protection Act instead of the disaster loan assistance because you have employees, and uh, you know that's you know a bigger benefit to get two months of of their payroll reimbursed because of the COVID crisis, right? So that's kind of the, the way we view ourselves is is you know our everybody on our team is is generally a, a certified financial planner or chartered financial analyst or a uh, uh, CPA or some sort of you know significant credential, uh, and we go through a, a detailed training process to try to make sure that we ha- they are, everyone on the team has deep student loan expertise, but they also have this other background you know in tax or financial planning or investing where you know you have that background because that's really how you want to think about student loans. It's it's not a monthly payment. It should be thought of in context of what's going on in your overall life and what you actually want to achieve with that life, and make sure that you don't have the tail wagging the dog. Okay, so now let's talk about refinancing. So say you've enrolled, you've consolidated at the federal level, but it's still going to be a relatively high interest rate, like what, 5 or 6%, something in that range when you consolidate? It's actually Correct. average it's... of all the different different rates you've had. Is that right? Correct. So you can consolidate it. So say it's 6%, just for an example. Uh, what is the advantage of uh, doing a refinance with a private company? What kind of rates can you get? And can anybody do that? Or you have to show them a high credit score? How does that all work? You generally need at least a 650 FICO score, so that's the first thing. And then, in general, you need a uh, basically a debt-to-income ratio below two to one, meaning that you need to owe less than double your income as student loan debt. Those are just general rules of thumb. Different banks or lenders look at it differently. But uh, you know, in terms of refinancing, what we like to tell people is to use this strategy called the refinancing ladder. And the the rationale behind that is when you commit to a private lender. You have no flexibility on the monthly payment. You can no longer sign up for your, in, you know, based on your income. You can no longer get loan forgiveness. The payment is the payment. So sometimes we see people get a little bit over enthusiastic with refinancing, and the lowest rates are oftentimes for like five-year terms. So the problem with the five-year term is you'll be paying two percent of your balance each month. And so if you have a hundred thousand dollar balance, you'll be paying two thousand dollars each month if you choose a five-year term. So what we kind of tell people instead is maybe start off refinancing with a twenty-year term. You might be paying a little bit higher interest, but the benefit is instead of a $2,000 a month payment on a $100,000 debt, maybe you only have to pay $600 a month. And what we tell people is there's no prepayment penalties for you know paying extra. So pay extra towards your loan, knock the $100,000 to a lower number, and then refinance it again. And a lot of people think about refinancing when they think about refinancing their mortgage. That's kind of the big analogy that people have in their head, and that's a big hassle. You know, you have to go through all this closing stuff. You have to get, you know, you know, evaluate the closing costs. But for student loan refinancing, there's actually kind of reverse closing costs. You actually get paid to do student loan refinancing, at least on our website, because we take a, a discount compared to other places on uh, commissions, so that we're able to give cash bonuses to people who refinance on our site. So that's that's an example of of how we think that that it was probably better to start off with a longer term loan and then refinance maybe one or two times while you're making extra big prepayments so that you never commit yourself to a monthly payment that's too high and that strategy is kind of showing its strength right now during this economic crisis. Right, right. People took on uh, it sounded good to pay off in five years, but they don't have the income. They're not going to have to make the payments. And what happens if you miss payments 
on the student? Can they start seizing your assets? Or what, what happens if you fall behind? Well, you can do a three-month forbearance at most student loan refinancing companies, which they basically allow you to pause your, your payments for three months if you lose your job. And certainly a lot of them are doing that right now for people. If you do fall behind more than that, you know, and you exhaust all of your forbearance options, you know, they're allowed to take you to court. And on a big loan amount, they will, right? And basically the judge can essentially compel you to pay. Uh, so private loans are not like a you know, some sort of credit card debt that you can discharge and, you know, people are going to trade it around for three cents on the dollar. No, private loans are generally sold for, you know, 90 cents on the dollar or something like that in bankruptcy, or those are the kind of settlements that happen. So, you know, you really need to expect that you will have to pay this private loan back in full if you refinance. You know, the the thing is, is most people with good incomes and good credit scores that do need to pay back their debt uh, that are not in the in the public sector, most of those people do need to refinance eventually. The The important thing to note, though, is, is it's just not worth blowing up your finances just for a lower interest rate. And and that's not the most important thing is the lower interest rate. It's just having uh, savings without having to worry about that monthly payment hampering you. So there's a lot of companies that have gotten into the student loan refinancing business since the student loan explosion happened here. What are some of the ones that you think uh, do the best job at uh, giving people good service and good interest rates and so on? Sure. I mean, so we have a lot of them listed on our site, but, you know, um, Ernest and, and Laurel Road, um, SoFi, Common Bond, Credible, Lenkey, uh, First Republic Bank. Um, there's there's a lot of them, really. Um, PenFed, Splash Financial. There's there's a whole bunch. In terms of, of where people should apply first, I mean, we try to kind of list the, the ones that most often give people the best rates on our site most prominently, and then we have lists where we list all of them, right? So I would tell most people that you should just probably apply to probably two or three lenders um, just to make sure that you're shopping around a little bit, and, uh, and you'll be able to, to find probably with, we tell people like 95% certainty, you'll find the best rate if you uh, use the, 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 the lenders that you know, we list most prominently on our site. Is it only interest rate or are there other things you should look for in picking a student loan refinancing company? Generally, it's only the interest rate. I mean, there's maybe some other things like, um, you know, but for forbearance protections, most of them all have those. I would say right now during the economic crisis with COVID, you know, we're telling people to only refinance private loans because federal loans are currently at 0% interest and payments are suspended. So if you have a private loan, the interest is not suspended. So it would make sense to refinance that to a lower rate if you can find one. And what we're finding is, is the banks right now, you know, versus other kind of like fintech lenders are offering the best rates. Uh, banks offering the best rates simply because they have deposits and massive deposits that are now, thanks to the Federal Reserve, having to pay almost nothing to their depositors in, in savings interest, right? So the spread that they can make by lending uh, for student loan borrowers is, is substantial compared to somebody that has to go get capital from you know the bond markets, which are all a mess right now. And these are considered good loans because the bankruptcy law says you can't discharge student loan debt in bankruptcy. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, if you can lend to a physician or a lawyer or a dentist uh, and they're not allowed to discharge the debt in bankruptcy, that's a that's a really rock solid kind of loan to make, even without any security as collateral. But despite that, there's tons of people that are late or uh, defaulting on their student loans and delinquent all over the place. They may not mm -hmm. be able to charge it in bankruptcy, but a lot of people are way, way late on their student loan payments, correct? Yes. Yeah, so, so you think about it, the vast majority of people that are late are late on federal loans because federal loans are made to everyone. And so federal loans generally have the um, overall, like the worst credit profile compared to private loans because private loans by definition were underwritten by somebody 
And then even for the ones, you know, the ones that are in default on private loans, it's generally on loans that were originated like as private loans, because a lot of times people will miss financial aid deadlines that they'll forget to apply and they have to apply somewhere last second, right? And then they'll get actually a really high interest rate on a private loan versus something that's attractive um, or something maybe lower cost. So, you know, you generally just want to, um, you know, realize like the, the, the real problem is actually in the federal student loan balance sheet versus private student lenders balance sheets. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of Student Loan Planner. You can see he's an expert on all aspects of student loans. You can find out more at his website, studentloanplanner.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth in Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthinequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of Student Loan Planner. You can find out more about him at his website, studentloanplanner.com. Welcome back to the show, Travis. Good to be back. Now, you're also part of what's called the FIRE movement, which is financial independence, retire early. 
tell us about why you think fire makes sense for a lot of people. In fact, you did it. You retired quite early, right? And then I came back, so I'm a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that the fire movement is is under a lot of kind of scrutiny right now because uh, we haven't had a bear market in 12 years, right? We've had nothing but up. The worst drop I think we might have had is maybe in 2000. Uh, maybe 2011, I think, and then in uh, this couple of Decembers ago, there was a little bit of a 10% drop, and everyone kind of, you know, said, "Oh, maybe this is the big one," and then it wasn't. And so, you know, you have all of these people, all these 20, 30 somethings, writing about how they're going to retire early on a million dollars and live on forty thousand a year. Um, you know, the financial independence movement is is I would say more kind of broad than the fire movement, like the specifically the RE part, the retire early. So I think that. What generally happens for almost anybody that I've met that reti- the quote unquote retires early is they do something that's useful for society, right? They don't simply just sit on the couch and watch Netflix and drink beer, right? Which don't get me wrong, you know, those are fun things to do too, right? But that's not going to be a satisfying life, especially to somebody that took the time and the effort to educate themselves on this and gain the assets necessary to retire, right? So, I mean, for for me. Um, this is going to sound a little silly to say this, but I needed to have a second career and I didn't realize it at the time. I just wasn't fulfilled in my current kind of corporate existence. So allowing myself to save a lot of money and quit my job, I didn't actually have the plan to start a business when I quit my job. I I started the business rather, uh, because I felt a passion for doing something that didn't feel like work anymore. So that's super exciting to me that I don't have to show up to a uh, office environment, work on projects that I'm not passionate about. Um, I get to decide what I want to do. And I think that's why the FIRE movement and the financial independence movement is only going to grow is because it basically says you should be doing what you're passionate about. And some people can't afford that luxury because you have to pay the mortgage, right? But the thing is, is once you figure out how to handle the mortgage, at least for a while, that you'll get the space that you need to recuperate mentally so that you can become creative again and pursue whatever dream or goal or career change or business venture that you're interested in, in starting because you can always fall back on your ability to make money and live on you know in another way. So you don't think the fire movement is going to die with the, the bull market having died here? That it, It's always based on put aside more money and it's going to grow nicely and you'll have this big pot of money you can retire early. If instead we're in a massive bear market, does that still work? I think you would need the Great Depression to kill the fire movement. I think that if I think if you had the Great Depression, then I think that yes, you would see a very different attitude. Like my granddad lived through the Great Depression. When he passed, you know, we would find uh, you know gold Krugers in the walls and the sheetrock, you know, and and uh, cash in the sock drawer. There's probably you know money buried out in the backyard that we don't know about still, right? Just because that experience was the most traumatic that you could ever dream of. You know, if you had a mortgage, you know, the 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 size of your mortgage grew by like twenty or thirty percent because of deflation. Right, you know, uh, people didn't get paid. Everyone's house, a lot of people's houses got foreclosed upon. The stock market fell, peaked to trough like ninety percent. I mean, this this COVID economic uh, crisis. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people suffering out there. I don't want to minimize that, but this is uh, this is small potatoes compared to the Great Depression, right? So I think that with the the benefit of the internet and with the ability for people to look up how bad things were in the past, uh, when the economy does recover, uh, I think that you're going to see the fire movement being just as big as it was before because the fire movement is strong because of the internet versus anything else, I think. And you can't kill the internet at this point. Yeah. Uh, let's get back to the new uh, law from the uh, Congress, the CARES Act. Uh, describe exactly how this works, where they suspend student loan payments 
uh, for, I guess, it's six months. How, do you have to apply for it? or How does the whole thing work? We're telling our clients to do absolutely nothing. So the, the caveat to that is you need to be a federal student loan borrower, not a private student loan borrower, to qualify. And then you really need to have had loans after 2010 that you took out for school. So if you borrowed after 2010 and you have federal loans and not private student loans, you will not need to do anything. You will generally, you would just basically will qualify automatically. If they do end up pulling a payment they shouldn't have pulled, you're going to get that refunded to you. Uh, they might take a couple weeks figuring out how to refund it to you, but they they will. That's what they're saying, at least publicly on their websites. Now, the people who do not qualify for this, first, the biggest big group is private student loan borrowers do not qualify for this. But there's actually a group that's even bigger than private student loan borrowers that don't qualify. And it's the 6 million people that have student loans that were issued before 2010 that are under this bank guarantee program. So this is called the FFEL loan program. Now, the the confusing part is loans from before 2010 were probably issued under this program. And these prog- this, these loans can either be federally owned or bank owned. And both of them are federal loans, technically. But the thing is, is the bank owned loans were not given the protections that the federally owned loans were just because of, I guess, legal reasons. They weren't able to do that. So that's obviously a, a big concern. And we're going to see my expectation in the coming weeks a lot of people that have these older bank-owned loans are going to assume that they're going to get their payments stopped and then they won't, and that they're going to reach out to their servicers asking why. And the servicers are actually going to have a huge economic incentive not to tell them that they can consolidate that loan into a direct federal loan and get zero payments and zero interest because the servicers or the owners of those loans get paid interest income, and they're very lucrative for the people that own them. So it's kind of a little bit of a conflict of interest that we're going to see play out in the next six months where people could have change their loan type, but then the people that own it would have to tell them that, hey, you can do this and you're gonna we're gonna lose all our interest income if you do. What a conflict of interest, really. Wow. What are some other ways that borrowers can save thousands of dollars in addition uh, to what the bill does? Well, I mean, you can you can save a lot of money long term. I mean that's the thing is is short term kind of what my concern is 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 people are going to make even more mistakes with their student loans because they're going to go off for six months and think they don't exist, right? And then what's going to happen is in the bill, it's kind of um, kind of interesting. The 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 section that they include starting the payments back up again, it says that the depart- the Secretary of Education must contact borrowers six times in August and September, reminding them their payment starts again. That's going to be a little stressful for some people. Um, but uh, they're doing that because they know that when people – you know, forget about a debt obligation, and then it comes back, it's going to cause a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. So, I mean, my expectation is that we're going to be pretty busy with analyzing some of those older loan situations to try to maximize the CARES Act for people in the next six months. But also, the the long-term plans for people haven't changed. So the thousands of dollars in savings, you know, if you're filing taxes the wrong way, you could save thousands of dollars a year, maybe even five figures a year, just by filing your taxes the right way if you're a student loan borrower. You can sign up for an income-driven plan instead of do a extended or a graduated or a standard repayment plan and get credit for forgiveness these next six months. There's all kinds of stuff, and uh, there's just so many strategies to name, it's it's not even funny. So about like nine and 10 of our clients save about an average of about, um, I think it's 50 grand in projected savings um, from the plans that we create them. What do you charge them for your consulting services? Four to six hundred dollars, and that includes email follow-up support questions for uh, for several months afterwards. Sounds like it'll pay off pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, 
also on the CARES Act, how is that going to help small business owners? Well, I mean, we're going to be applying for this ourselves. I mean, it's there's this Paycheck Protection Program, and it basically uh, allows you to count independent contractors in addition to your employees, and they look at your average annual, um, basically monthly paycheck, that monthly payroll uh, that you're paying to everybody, and then they multiply that by 2.5. So that's the, the amount of money that you can borrow uh, from the Small Business Administration. You just basically need to contact wherever bank that you have your business banking through, supposedly, and they're going to submit this on your behalf. So the application is already out there in PDF form. We have ours uh, filled out, ready to go uh, this Friday when they release the program. I'm sure millions of other people do too. I'm, I'm expecting a lot of websites to crash and it just to be mass chaos uh, trying to to get these applications turned in. But the reward is very high because it can cover two months of your payroll as a business owner. And that's absolutely tremendous and extraordinary uh, because, I mean, just like most business owners, we were not going to furlough anybody, but we were going to significantly cut people's hours back. Uh, just because everyone's trying to conserve cash flow right now. So the CARES Act is a massive boon for small business owners. You're also a good investor. How have you been investing during this whole uh, bear market, which has happened since the end of February? How is it, and how do you think people should be investing during this whole coronavirus epidemic? I mean, what, what I'm going to, again, I'll say that, you know, you have to talk to a licensed financial professional for personalized advice, but what I'm doing personally is, you know, I, I put my money in VTSAX and VTIAX. So those are two mutual funds at Vanguard. One of them is the total U.S. stock market index fund. It owns every stock proportionally in the market value uh, to to uh, their representation in the economy. And then also the total international index fund owns all of the international stocks, excluding the U.S. around the around the world. Um, I buy those that way because you can you know tax loss harvest, and and I've done that a little bit during this downturn to get some losses on paper that I can use for future. Uh, future years to offset taxes, and I've been buying a lot, uh, just to the extent that I feel comfortable going. You know, I, I will go down to my minimum cash amount that I need to have. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm, you know, buying above that level, but making sure that I have a lot of cash reserves, just because we don't know. Like maybe there's a 10 or 20 percent chance that we do have a Great Depression again. Uh, you better have a lot of cash if that happens, right? So that's that's kind of what I'm doing is a balancing act of buying more. Uh, and then, you know, I have a 10% of my investments I have is fun money. So <laughs> with the fun money, I've been doing, you know, stuff that I would never recommend for, for most people, like, you know, buying cruise stocks and things like that. <laughs> but, but you think that uh, we're going to bounce back, basically. If you didn't think we're going to bounce back, you wouldn't be buying these broad-based indexes. Well, if you look at the history of the Spanish flu, the pandemic of 1918, we only dropped about 15%. And that was a case where you had 100 million people around the world die and 700,000 people in the U.S. died. If you had that number of people die today, there'd be two or three million dead. And the worst case scenario people are talking about in the U.S. is, you know, like, you know, 240,000 seems like the worst case, like baseline scenario. So this is going to be way lower impact than the Spanish flu in terms of loss of life. Uh, and I'm not minimizing the tragedy of this. I'm just saying, like, from a look, you, you know, analyzing it just financially, this is going to be something that is not as serious, probably, as as prior things that the world has recovered from um, quickly. And so, you know, we had the fastest drop in the stock market ever from this. I also anticipate we'll see the fastest increase ever in the stock market. All that all it would take for the stock market to go up 20 or 30% is for a credible vaccine to be discovered. Uh, and, and then, goodness sakes, you would see things just absolutely soar. Indeed, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby the founder of Student Loan Planner. 
You can find out more at his website, studentloanplanner.com. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of Student Loan Planner. You can find out more at his website, studentloanplanner.com. Welcome back to the show, Travis. Good to be here. So let's talk about the emotional relationship of people to their student loans and how it's affecting marriages and relationships. Let's start with that. I mean, we we did a survey uh, a while back that found like one in 15 student loan borrowers had considered suicide because of their student loan debt. So if that doesn't tell you the the anguish that this thing causes, I don't know what does. Um, You know, a little bit less extreme kind of statistic is, is you know, 90% of people have felt extreme anxiety about their student loan debt at some point, uh, because you you kind of think about it, and it's like everybody in school tells you that you're going to pay this thing off. So you kind of ignore it. And then suddenly you do normal life events, like you want to buy a house or start a family and get married and have kids. And then suddenly these student loans start staring you back in the face. And if you don't have a plan of how to deal with it, 
then suddenly the the mortgage broker looks at that and says, hey, sorry, the dream house that you're wanting to buy, we can only approve you for something $100,000 less than what you wanted. Or your significant other asks to talk about money with you and then you don't fully disclose that you have such a large student loan balance because you're afraid that they're going to break up with you. So, I mean, I would say that there's there's definitely a huge toll on student loans and, and marriage and relationships. I think that the biggest impact that we see is people that generally you're going to get married no matter what. Most people will delay marriage by several years, and they also delay having children several years, which you know kind of compounds the problem in a lot of developed countries of having you know lower um, lower levels of children born, which is going to pose problems for some of our uh, social safety net programs long term. You're saying that the student loan problem is lowering our birth rate even more, and we're not even replacing the population today. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's it's definitely lowering the birth rate. There's no question. Just because if you feel like you have all this stress and debt, and you can't, you know, how are you going to take on a childcare payment, which is like two or three thousand a month in a lot of places? How are you going to take that on? We also have a student loan payment that's 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 that size. And if you think about a lot of professional degree programs right now. Just the fact that we force people to go through four years of undergraduate and then go to three years of law school or four years of medical school, when a lot of countries uh, speed up the process a lot faster, you know, places like the UK, I believe that they have an accelerated pathway to becoming a physician. Um, I think that you know a lot of our postgraduate training could probably be reevaluated. Certainly, if if your goal is to uh, continue having a, a replacement rate level uh, birth rate uh, to sustain you know society economically. So some people are reevaluating whether they want to go to college at all or whether they want to take on these student loan debts. Is that something you help people is evaluate up front if they should take on the student loan debt in the first place? We'll do it for a graduate school uh, degree program. So we have a pre-debt consult that we do for people that are considering taking on you know six-figure amount of, of debt for graduate school. And we'll show them exactly what the, the true debt they're going to leave with is. It's actually a lot more than what the school says because the school never includes things like tuition inflation. They don't include origination fees usually. And they also don't include the accrued interest that accumulates while you're in school. So most schools will give you an estimate of that's about 75% of what you're actually going to graduate with in student loan debt, which is which is misleading in, in my view. And, uh, and so we'll just explain what that's going to look like, what your options will look like after graduation. Uh, that's probably, you know, a, a product that maybe only, you know, probably 95% of our, our services is, is doing the, the post debt uh, consultations because that's when the people's pain is severe, right? Yeah, I mean it's kind of like you don't go uh, see the the cancer doctor in preparation for avoiding, you know, medical problems, right? You go when you need chemo because the problem's bad. I mean that's a terrible analogy, but uh, you, you get what I'm saying there. Yeah. So uh, should people, in many cases, not go to college and maybe do online courses? I mean, there's tons of jobs available in. Uh, professions where you use your hands for electricians and plumbers and uh, tool and die makers and so on. Um, maybe a lot of people shouldn't be going to college and building up these debts. How do you help people and their parents make that decision when they're 18 and they don't really have much experience in the world yet? Yeah, I think I think that the, the, the reason why people go to college, and we're seeing this with so many people that had their semesters canceled, is it's coming of age time. You know, you, you go to college because, you know, when I went to college, uh, you know, over 10 years ago, uh, this is embarrassing to admit, but I didn't really know how to use a uh, uh, a washer and dryer for clothes because my mom had done my laundry for my whole life, right? And so, I mean, just simple things like having to fix yourself, uh, you know, meals and, and you know, be an adult. 
Uh, I mean, it's it's a, it's a great experience. I mean, I, I think that I would want that for my my own kids, even if they didn't want to go to college. I think it's a, it's a really fun experience. Now, the the problem is, in my view, is when college becomes a six figure expense, and 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 you're you don't have the assets to back that up, right? So that's when it really becomes a complete waste. Uh, is when you're borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for something that you don't even need to do. Uh, I, I do think that college benefits people in, in empl- from employer perspective because employers using use it as a signaling mechanism. Right now, there's no great substitute for me looking at two job applicants. I see that one went to Penn State University, another one went to a college I've never heard of before. I'm probably going to hire the person from Penn State University because there's a brand name and a minimum application that you have to get, uh, you you have to scores you have to have to get into that institution. So it's kind of like a, a baseline level of expectation as to how good that worker is going to be. So I think that you know you look at most of the economic research that suggests a lot of employers, you know, the reason why college and, and professional degrees are valuable is because they use it as a signaling mechanism versus a requirement. So you would need employers to have something that they're really highly confident in that they can use as a signaling mechanism instead of a degree to have the college education experience just really, uh, you know, decline a lot, I think. So is that possible to do online courses? I mean, there's all these places, Udacity and all kinds of other places online now where you can get courses from top professors. Could that potentially count for an employer without actually going to a four-year campus? Yeah, I think you'd have to have some sort of standardization of the process, and I think you'd have to figure out how to communicate that that you know, value of that program to employers and employers would have to widely recognize it. So if you had something like Udacity get some sort of um, program that you have to have a minimum level of scores to get into, and then you have to have a minimum, it's very rigorous, you have to have a minimum, you know, GPA to, to finish it, uh, then, and they got a lot of press surrounding that, then I do think you could replace college for 90% cheaper, you know, because if you think about what's going on right now, colleges are educating people online and people are finding like, yeah, that most of the value in college seems to be the social networking and being at the institution and learning how to be an adult and the signaling mechanism and the material that you learn, you can learn in a library book. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, things like that will probably, they're probably going to change for some employers, but most employers are going to be very, very slow to change. And I, I think you need to see something pretty radical to displace the traditional college experience. And what is it from the college's point of view? Are they concerned that they're just getting too high and their their graduates are having too much debt and people are reconsidering whether they should go to college at all. And I guess the baby boom has moved through and now it's a smaller cohort, so they're competing for more students. What is it from the college's point of view? Well, I mean, colleges are are like any business. They want to make money. And colleges now are basically what hospitals and, and healthcare was maybe 30 years ago, right? So, you know, you have higher education now is a big industry. If you look at you know, any given town, especially in like the, the places where manufacturing is left, right? And, you know, the, the economy feels like hollowed out, right? The, the nicest buildings in town are the hospitals and the university buildings. And that's because they have tons of money right now and they're growing and consuming an ever larger share of the economic uh, pie. And they're not going to stop unless there's some sort of, of either regulation or, or more market competition. Like either one of them would, would, would affect that. But these these groups are they're very powerful. They have a very strong lobbying presence, uh, and I think that you know you're you're not going to see a lot of change until the problem gets really bad. Um, so I think that you know without that incentive and ability to compete on price, uh, colleges are not going to do it. That's why every degree costs you know private school degrees cost like fifty thousand uh, dollars because they want you to associate value with it. 
Yeah. In about a minute we have left, just kind of summarize the opportunity for people to do better with their student loans. You, there's so many different things you can do. You can file taxes separately. You can sign up for a different repayment plan. You can refinance and you can stop paying extra payments towards your loans and put it towards uh, other things like retirement and lower your taxable income, which even lowers your student loan payment even further. So if you have not given your student loans appropriate levels of thought, especially if you owe a large amount, I would say larger than a car in terms of the amount of your student loan debt, then you probably do need to either put in the time yourself and research all of your options online. Or if you'd like the shortcut method, then you can hire a professional to navigate it and make a plan for you like us. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Travis Hornsby. He's the founder of Student Loan Planner. You can find out about all of these subjects in more detail at studentloanplanner.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Travis. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.